Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. And today we're exploring one of those elephant in the room topics that many leaders and advisors grapple with. Is listening and engaging online worth your time? And there's a perception that social media is all about talking. In fact, I'd go as far as to say it's a stigma that keeps many well-meaning leaders off the platforms who, from what they see, it's a place for people who love the sound of their own voice. But what if you flip things around? What if rather than treating social media as a way to broadcast, you went online to listen and participate instead? What do leaders stand to gain when they invest their time learning and contributing to conversations rather than thinking their posts are a prized asset? Well, my guest today is a living, breathing case study of this approach. She was one of the earlier adopters of social media as a senior bureaucrat in her role at the Australian Taxation Office at the time, and now Chief Operating Officer at the Department of Employment and Workplace Relations. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Deborah Jenkins to the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thank you so much for making time, Deb. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. It really is. And it's one of those weird moments where we've known one another for such a long time. We have, we have. But we're meeting face to face and it is a real treat. But And I do want to get straight to this elephant in the room issue. You're a busy bureaucrat. You've obviously just changed roles. You joined your earlier this year. I'm sure you've got plenty to do. Why do you bother investing some of your very limited time on social media? There are so many reasons, but maybe let me just give you two of them. I actually just want to hear what's going on in the community, plugging in to what's the vibe on the ground. You know, you're sitting in your office, you're sitting in your maybe your ivory tower, but actually you get to hear what are the pain points. And if I if I think about being the small business commissioner, I was looking after small business at the ATO, and you actually heard the voices of small business and their advisors, and they would tell you what they thought on social media. So for me, definitely it's a place where I can have my finger on the pole. The other thing is you actually get to you get to tell people what you are doing in your organization. And, you know, this might be top secret information, but for example, not many people speak really, really nicely about the ATO. So it was a really great opportunity to tell people, including my staff, about the cool stuff that we were doing. But I was also able to just have my finger on the pulse and just understand what was happening out there. And maybe if I add a third thing, if I'm allowed to, it's about you know, you can actually keep track of your networks. It's just this amazing place where instead of having to email and have coffees with everyone, I can keep track of people and then understand where they're going, what they're doing, what interests them. And I feel like I have this connection with them, which maybe, I mean, you and I have had this connection online for a really long time and had never met. So those are probably the main reasons, yeah. And what's interesting about that, I mean, and whether this was intentional or not, you started that list of three with listening as the first thing. And I think that's interesting. So I do think, as I was saying earlier, people go into social media with this broadcast mindset. But as you said there, it's a way to listen. It's a way to learn. It's a way to keep your finger on the pulse. And and that last point there around network and relationships, it's a way to maintain context and understand what people are up to, what matters to them and, and that sort of thing. So this sounds like a very purposeful and valuable use of your time, but I'm assuming it didn't start there. Like you, you realize those benefits as you've got into it, of course. So where did it all start for you? What was your very first experience with social media? Yeah. So from a work perspective, I vividly remember a recruiter. She was an internal recruiter. 
And she said to me, we're, you know, we're trying to get new people into the organisation. I was actually in the private sector then. And she said, this is cool new thing called LinkedIn. And she said, this is where everyone's going to recruit. And I really did think this thing is not going to take off. It's really not going to take off. And that's where it started. And I remember doing a little video on budget night many, many years ago posting that, getting a taste of it. But it probably wasn't really until I started at the ATO and we were given a little bit of training and people said, actually, it's quite a good thing to have a profile. And it really took off from there. And then I moved into Twitter. And so I had a social media Twitter as a handle for small business. And that's where it started. And I actually really love it. But, you know, I do keep my personal and my work social media a little bit separate, except for the odd post, which we can maybe talk about a little bit later. <laughs> sure. And and I think there, it sounds like, again, you've had an early experience with social media that, you know, it's all part of the journey. It's all part of growing and learning how to use the platform and where you're getting value. And also, I think where your audience is, where your network's getting value as well. But it sounds like from what you're describing there, it was really that transition to the ATO that was start of a, a renewed or refreshed look at social media and the role and value it would play. Why, I suppose, why stay the course and why keep looking for that value as it sounds like you have and you found that at the ATO and, you know, the rest is history? Yeah. So I think what really helped me when I was uh, first at the ATO was there were some pretty awesome posts. And so it was actually really easy when I started to share some really good content. I thought this is actually useful for people to know about. I can, you know, hear what other people are saying about my organization. And so that's where really where I was like, actually, this is not a hard thing to do. Probably the harder thing to do is when you have to think about, well, what, what do I really want to post? What's my brand on social media? And I am quite selective. So, you know, when you have people behind you and they say, oh, post this, post that, if you don't feel it, I don't post it. So there's a thing for me around actually, you know, staying the course and only posting things or engaging with things that I genuinely am passionate about and care about. And I think that for me is one of my golden rules. I love that. And it totally aligns with our purpose pyramid. So we talk about this idea of if you're very clear on what your ambitions, your goals are, if you're clear on who your stakeholders are and their needs as a second element, and then if you're clear on your own personal story, what is unique about your own experience and journey, if you're clear on those three things, it's it's very useful, practical, valuable filter to know what to talk about and what not to talk about when you participate and when you actually extract yourself or avoid a conversation altogether. Because there is actually a, a skill in knowing this isn't a topic that I'm passionate about. I shouldn't actually be having a voice on this particular issue because it's not authentic. And people will see that. And, and I think some leaders, and regardless of sector, they forget the fact that every single post they make leaves a digital footprint and there's a track record of all the, you know, your history on certain issues. So if all of a sudden you come out of the woodwork to talk about something in a very what seems to be kind of measured and, and understanding way, but there's no context of that whatsoever, that community who you've built relationships with is suddenly going, where did that come from? It jars with them, yeah. doesn't it? It's like, well, where did that? Yeah, yeah. And it is interesting because a lot of people say to me, oh, Deb, do you do your own work? Surely you had people doing this for you. And the truth is it's a, it's a bit of both. And, and maybe we can explore that a little bit. But for me, it was certainly when I was fed things that just did not gel with what I was interested in or there wasn't a call to action because I do like to have a bit of a call to action in a lot of my posts, you know, whether it's a new grad position, whether it's actually click on this link, find out more about us. There's always got to be a something in it for the person reading it and not just a rah-rah, Deb is cool kind of thing, which, you know, as you were talking about earlier, you do see a little bit of that. 
Sure, and you've got to bring a bit of personality to it. But I, I think what you're touching on there is the interesting tension around and whether it's the starting point for leaders or whether it's something that actually emerges as a, a challenge or a consideration as they get more comfortable, more visible, more prominent and active on social media. There's that tension around the needs of the organization and the views and the values of the individual and getting that balance right as you're describing it. And again, as I was talking to with that purpose pyramid, getting that balance right is crucially important because you've joined an organization for a reason. I mean, as you've just described there, you're very passionate. I can see the energy around talking about you know, graduate opportunities, for example. I really want to get some good talent in here. So you're passionate about things for the organization. That's why you joined. But that those things are separate but need to be aligned with your personal values. What is it about your story and giving people opportunities, for example, seeing talent come through and feel empowered in the public service, for example, those things need to marry up because if they don't, that's where there's a you know either a conflict of interest or a disenchantment with whatever it is that you're talking about. And, and that's obvious yeah. to people listening. It is. It is. And I think about just when you were talking about the organisation and the changes too, I'm very conscious that I am a public servant and I'm very conscious that I'm a senior public servant too. So, you know, I add that to my little pyramid as well of what's actually appropriate Um I mean, but we actually can be quite bold and there's a lot of great examples uh, in the public service as well. But that sort of adds to my, but is this really going to be working for a public servant talking about this particular issue at this particular time? Do you think that, Deb, with the the concept around listening and talking, do you think that if you are actively listening and participating in conversations, and as you were describing, with a very clear mandate or a clear lens on why and then what's important to you, you're naturally going to be drawn into more of those conversations. Social media to aside, this is just a means to do it today. But is that a fair kind of... I think it is. I think it is. And going back to, you know, we have limited time and people say, how do you, you know, where do you get the time? Well, I do it when I'm on a plane. I do it when I'm on a bus. I do it maybe when I'm waiting for a meeting, of course, not in a meeting. But, you know, you you actually make the time. I think you made a really good point because why do I do it? I actually do it because I'm really interested in listening and, it, it, you know, it's not a chore. It does not feel like a chore to do this because I love engaging with people, especially during COVID. I was reflecting on this. It was actually another way to stay connected and to hear what people were up to, but also to have a sense of people, people were going through really tough times. And I think social media at that time, it was really interesting to see, you know, some of those challenges and you know, follow people like Georgie Harmon from Beyond Blue. Always, you know, she has something really interesting to say. She's always passionate. But there's always something there that's relevant for me, whether it was when I was in small business or whether it's at Dewar now or just me and my personal life. So it's about sort of that passion and the connections. And yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Would you say that if you reflect on your own leadership style and your own personal attributes, are you a natural listener? I'm trying to get yeah. an understanding of, is it something that people take into the online environment or is it something that the online environment teaches them to listen and observe and learn? It's a really interesting question because we, as soon as you were saying it, your listeners couldn't see me nodding, yeah. but I'm probably an, an active listener. I do really love listening and just thinking about what's the body language telling me. We well, can't see the body language on social media, but you can tell from maybe there's an image that goes with it. And certainly some people can sort of put a lot of heart into their posts. So yeah, I would say I am probably just naturally quite an active listener and I love learning as well. I have this love of always learning and and that's probably something I get out of the social media stuff too. 
for me, that's an indicator around good leadership, right? In terms of having that that thirst for learning, that curiosity. For me personally, I, I just think that's a no brainer. We, I spoke to Dr. Kirsten Ferguson on the podcast before, and she talked about that as a real key attribute for modern leaders. And I think curiosity, for me, as an attribute, personifies what social media is about that willingness to learn, to explore, to discuss, and to, to listen, to tune in and build a, a more informed perspective on things. Leaders have to listen then. Yeah. And if they have to listen, is this not an incredibly effective way for them to do that in terms of scale, but also in terms of niche listening? So you can get very specific about the topics you're passionate about, all the people, the, the communities you want to listen to, and you can also throw that brush incredibly broadly and, and learn from a wide range of diverse views that you previously weren't getting access to. So do leaders have to listen? Yeah, leaders absolutely have to listen. We don't know everything you know, and you're always learning from what other pe- perspectives and people have got to say. And it's amazing too. Some people say, oh, you know, why are you on LinkedIn? Let's just take that as one of many examples. Why are you on LinkedIn? Or what if uh, the only people who are liking your particular posts are your employees? Well, actually, that doesn't matter at all because for me, that shows that they're engaging with me. They're listening to me and then they'll often put a comment and then I can hear their perspective on it. And, and for me, yeah, listening is key. But probably to have permission to listen and for people to actually give you information, you do need to give a little bit of yourself too. So it's that whole authenticity. And if you are not authentic online, people are not going to listen to you and they are certainly not going to really buy into what you've got to say. Well, what, we had a chat not too long ago with Mike Kaiser on this podcast as well. And one of the examples he was talking to was he often shares online about his music interests. And he talks about the chats and all that sort of stuff. And that's Mike and that's great. But then what he was saying is it's, then a, a kind of it breaks down those barriers in terms of the hierarchy of leadership. So people will walk up to him in the coffee line and say, you know, as he was saying, I love the chats or I hate the chats and it starts a dialogue. It, but what you're touching on there about authenticity is really important. What Mike wasn't saying and what I'm hearing through your words is don't say you like the chats or don't say you're an avid music fan and, and share this stuff online and then not be approachable in the coffee line because what that will do is it'll erode that credibility. It'll actually break down trust and people start to become you know, skeptical of what you're saying online. So you've got to have that symmetry. How do you maintain that balance between how you would act in the physical world and how does that translate online? How have you worked out how to get that balance right for Deb? What you see is what you get. You want to be the same. And so for me, if you are really, you know, sounding like you're very approachable on social media, but actually you don't smile at people, you don't engage with your team members, you don't spend time with them, then to me, there's a real jarring thing there. And that's not authentic. I was laughing at your comment about, about Mike. I had an experience only this week. I was in, in the airport queue. We're in the security queue and I was smiling at someone. He was smiling at me where we're sort of like, we know each other from somewhere, don't we? Anyway, we're, you know, get a bit further on the queue and they took one bag, et cetera. And he said, I, you know, where do you work? And we went through the whole dance and he said, I loved your rugby post the other week. I've been following you for ages. Now we weren't even connected on LinkedIn, but he knew who I was. And it turns out I actually knew he, who he was. And, you know, there was that connection. And I'm hoping, you know, that's a good example of, 
I am approachable. I do stop for a chat. And um, yeah, poor things, if they get stuck at the Qantas Club with me, I, you know, do have a bit of a chat. I love a bit of a chat. Particularly talking about rugby when we're talking yeah. to Kiwis. I mean, we don't, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of battle scars there. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, Deb, and, and I'm not trying to toot your horn here, but it was interesting for me in talking to people about who's coming on this show. And I talked to several people in different realms, people that you've worked with in the past and people who kind of know you through social media as well. Every single person said the same thing. And that was that you are authentic, you make time, you are engaging. And so to your point, I mean, ideally we're, we're raising and supporting leaders who are those things. And so therefore it's not hard for them to be all those things online and offline. But I think if that's authentic and consistent, regardless of whatever domain you're in, all I'd say about social media is it gives you the opportunity to amplify that impact. So the example of having a chat to someone on the coffee line, running into them at the airport, that one-to-one exchange is valuable and powerful. Take that and put rocket fuel under it and, and send it out through the internet to a much wider range of people to increase your positive impact and legacy as yeah. a leader. And I was thinking about this too, because a lot of people probably don't think of me as being a natural introvert. So I am an introvert. I get my energy from, you know, uh, from having a bit of time to myself. And so, you know, putting yourself out there can be quite scary. And I was thinking about people who might just be, you know, thinking, oh, this is actually, um, you know, I'm not like that. But it is, a, you can do it in a really, really safe way. And and it is actually a way a number of people who I would say are quite introverted actually feel much safer, much more controlled online. They're controlling the narrative. They don't have to talk to lots of people one-on-one. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'd say to some introverts out there, if you haven't, you know, if you find a room full of people really scary, social media actually can be a nice way to start it, a gentle way to start if you like. I love that, and particularly a listen-first approach. But listen, so yeah. Exactly. You're going to get the context. You're going to read the room. You're going to understand who's out there, the players, what they say, why they say it, where the, the context is. It's a really good way to kind of build connection and familiarity with a community so that it does become a bit easier, becomes less draining to be around those people. So I wholeheartedly support that. I want to go back to a comment you made before about that idea of it jarring when someone is slightly different. We hear a whole range of stories about how people approach social media, particularly leaders, what they're comfortable doing, what they're not comfortable doing. We've talked about the concept of time and how people would probably prefer to invest their time in broadcast and talking rather than listening if they think that's where they're going to get most value. I was in a workshop the other day and it was interesting for me when we were talking about the merits of leaders being on LinkedIn. You've told your story, there's there's many others. They were talking about the challenge, I suppose, of yes, I can convince my leader to get on LinkedIn, just as an example of any platform, but I'm certain that if I do that and if they say yes, I know who's going to be writing content. I know who's going to be posting. I know who's going to be doing all the work behind the scenes. (laughs) Where does that attitude come from? And what is the risk for leaders when they actually do outsource that based on what you were saying about that jarring element? Yeah. So it's it's really interesting. I always think it's good to get some support when you are going onto social media, right? There are some things you do and there's some things you don't do. And so for me, there was always good to have a framework around me and some trusted people who would help me start to feel comfortable. And the number of times I've had people say, oh, who who does your stuff for you? You know, and can you just, can they just do my posts? Well, you could probably get someone to do it if they could speak in your voice and be in your brain. Now, all, some of us have had over our times, I've had advisors who really are in my brain and they can say, Deb would say, Deb thinks that is 
how Dib would sound. Um, so for me, it's always been a bit of a team effort. We often used to, for some of my channels that I used to use, we'd sit at the beginning of every week and we'd think about what was going on and what might be interesting and we'd brainstorm together. But often the final wording was mine. In fact, in most cases, the final wording was mine. And in particular, especially when I was sharing or resharing something, um, I always wanted the top and tailing to be really, really authentic. The ones that I, my eyes roll, I'm like, oh, God, here we go again. Those ones you can clearly see that someone in the marketing area has given them a standard template. It's got the same really standard picture with a bit of words on it, not even a photo, and they've all been told to put this on LinkedIn. That does not work for me and turns me off. So, you know, for me, that's a jarring moment and I immediately don't bother reading the post. But when I read something, it might have a picture or it might have words that I know. Um, One of my favourite, shout out to one of my old school friends from New Zealand, Julia Jones, she's she's a musician. She is as authentic as it gets. And you read Julia's post and you think, I feel like I know Julia, even if you don't. And so, you know, for me, you could outsource it. You're not going to get the value out of it. But if you wanted to do a halfway house, maybe actually been working as a team on it, I would, you know, really recommend that. And then when you're ready, maybe you could try a few of your own. But uh, yeah, it's fun. It's fun. And I think I think there's a parallel analogy there from you, what you've described there is, um, you know, where to start and get support around and all that sort of stuff. And, and gradually, it's almost like take the training wheels off and you can ride yeah. on your own. There's a parallel with the, the listening to posting idea and using listening as a way to get familiar with a community and you will be drawn into conversations. It's like, don't, don't push people out there when they're not ready, listen, learn, absorb. And and then when you feel comfortable, participate, I'd almost say that as the advice to leaders, if they're not ready to feel that they can post on their own, start by listening, build a profile. Sure. But start by listening to key people and get familiar and comfortable with how this environment works. And you'll find again, going back to your purpose pyramid example too, if you're passionate about something, you'll be drawn into those conversations. You won't be able to stop yourself from posting. And I think just to touch on your point there about the marketing template, if I can call it that, the different features. <laughs> Deb's rolling her eyes. I, for am. Those. <laughs> I am. I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> no, but it's, it, that's important because your experience and your reaction is the same as people out there. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're sitting thumbing through your LinkedIn feed or your Twitter feed, for example, and you see one of those posts, you know exactly what we're talking about right now. You know the ones that have come from corporate comms or from marketing, and they are the exact formulaic style of post. I love when I see a leader who uses double spaces, who uses multiple exclamation marks, who uses random ellipses and dot, dot, dots and whatever Breaks it is. Breaks all the rules, right? hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. The, the copywriter in me dies a little bit. Yeah. But the authentic uh, nature of that post is just so powerful and so valuable. It cannot be replicated. So yes, there might be people who understand how you might think. They might be in Deb's brain, as you're saying, and and know how you think. But at the end of the day, you can't outsource context. And so if it's a one-to-one exchange through a private message, if it's a reply to a comment on a post that you've made, my personal view is those things need to be done by the individual so that you don't stuff up, so that you don't waste or risk your reputation. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, You know, it's funny. I remember people saying, do you actually do the replies yourself? I'm like, yes, of course I do. Like, that's the whole point. Um, so, yeah, d- yeah, please don't outsource that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but but I do want to also be fair to people and say I completely agree about the idea of get support, though. Yeah. No, and, and you know, start a constructive conversation with your comms team, your advisors, whoever's helping you with this, and say, what are the things that you need as a leader to do this sustainably and effectively? 
what can we provide you? And as I say, examples like private messages or things like replies to comments, those things in my view should always be owned by a leader. But in terms of, as you said, the brainstorming, the the workshopping ideas, the crafting of first drafts of content, totally fine. Um, uh, you know, listening and providing intelligence and reports back to leaders so they can read the room without yeah. taking the time. Brilliant. Do all this stuff and support them. Provide the scaffolding that's going to help them uh, do an effective job online. And Deb, one of the things that we haven't talked about that I'm, I'm keen to explore as a sort of extension of this. So you are you, and as we've learned, as you are online is how you are offline. It's authentic. It's consistent across the board. You're working at Dewar, and your secretary, Natalie James, is also quite active and, and authentic online. What impact do you think it has on staff and also your sector peers and partners, whoever you work with, to see both of you at that senior leadership level participating, having a laugh, having fun, supporting one another's comments online? Yeah, the feedback I've got from my team is that they love the fact that people are people, their leaders are actually talking about probably the organisation first, and they also get to learn a little bit about us. And we're actually really, really human. And if I think about why I originally started doing a lot of my work at the ATO, it was to put a human face on a government bureaucratic organisation. And so I think when I think about, you know, Nat, my secretary, and I, and we've both independently been doing this stuff, and we've just recently sort of come together in the same department. It's just for me around that, you actually get the chance to be humans in the public sector. It's an awesome place to work. You get the sense, I hope people actually get the sense that we have fun. We love the people that we work with. You know, we might take some photos of, the, you know, we meet the grads or we meet someone else. And genuinely, those those moments are pretty awesome. And we do want to share them with our people. They love the fact that someone's saying really something really positive about their organisation and what they are doing online. You know, it's something in the public sector, often people don't talk, and I mentioned this earlier, they don't always say great things about the public sector, or maybe historically anyway. And so having someone who's actually willing to say, you are doing an awesome job, and we really love what you're doing, they can, their friends can see them online, their friends can see their boss online. And I think there's kind of this contagion effect. And, and you know, at, at Team Dewar, we want to be the department of best jobs. Like we are serious about getting really good people in there. And we actually know that people do look on on our social media profiles, they look and they say, is this an organization that I want to work for? What are they, what are they think, what's their thinking around diversity and inclusion? Do they actually live those values? And, you know, I hope that people can see from our particular social media profiles, we genuinely are serious about those things in our organization and in our lives as well. And I think that really helps. Absolutely. I feel like it would validate them and whether you're in or outside the organization at that point, it gives, it empowers you as, you know, this is a place that I either am proud to be at and obviously my leaders are proud of as well and the work that we do, or it's a place that I could see myself because I would feel supported and I would feel that these things can be talked about as much internally as they are externally. And that validates the work that I do. I remember a post, and I think it was about a week ago that you did around the internal event and you were talking about Cal, you yes, know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Day. Harmony Day. Oh, what an event. That was an amazing Event. Yeah. And, and I got the sense of the reflections that you made in that post. And shout out to Rebecca Boone here in Queensland government who shared this phrase, working out loud. And I love the fact that you're talking about praise and recognition and all that sort of stuff, which are good things. And when done well and authentically, absolutely come across the right way. 
but it's not all that. What I liked about that was the the comment that you were getting from people in your network and, and who work at Dua sharing ideas and, and Nat actually jumping on and saying, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? Not afraid to admit that we hadn't thought about it before, but instead celebrating the fact that staff were suggesting this was a good idea. Great. This is an opportunity, again, replaying the, the advice you've given on this conversation to listen to what people are saying and what they need and what they want, then to be active in participating, to give people the role model, I suppose, the example to follow in sharing their opinions so that you can learn from them and you can actually create the Department of Best Jobs because people see, oh, wow, they're actually listening and acting on what their teams need. That's a really, really important point, isn't it? Because the other thing that we really want to get across to our people is that we make mistakes or we don't have all of the answers. And you're right. I mean, Nat jumped in on that one and did say, hey, well, that would, that's a great idea. Why don't we do it? And that's, you know, it really does show we live that every day. We don't have all the answers and we are always really interested in what other people have got to say because we, we just, you know, we can't do all the thinking, I think, is something, and we'd love to hear what the ideas are, whether that's on LinkedIn that's in, in our internal social media pages or, you know, people dropping me an email because that happens too. Absolutely. Everyone has a great idea, right? Just give them the the platform and the space to be able to do it and empower them to do so. So you shared through this conversation your own personal benefits and the reasons why and and why you got started and why you've kept going. Looking at this through the professional lens in terms of the impact it's had on places like the ATO and Dewar, what are the real key benefits that you've experienced by being an active participant in the social media space as a leader in the public service? Yeah. So if I think back to probably COVID times and I was involved in things like cash flow boost and JobKeeper and, and things that were happening really, really fast. So the benefit for me was that I was able to very quickly communicate information and correct misinformation online to the audience that mattered. And in that particular case, the audience happened to be mainly advisors. So, you know, having that really speed to market, you didn't have to go through lots of, you know, advertising campaigns, you could actually connect immediately with the people. Probably some of the other things were just the ability to really control the narrative. So if you think about our job our jobs, the the grad program you can share that information and you can share it with people using the hashtags and you can also, you can see other people resharing that content. So it's around that shareability, if you like, of pieces of information. It can't go past, for me, the business connection. So if I think about, and I mentioned, you know, my old school friend, we probably wouldn't have stayed connected and I wouldn't know the amazing stuff that she's doing in New Zealand if we hadn't been on LinkedIn together. So, you know, don't underestimate the value of that. One of the things I would say, though, in terms of the benefit is don't connect with people that you don't know. So I know different people have different perspectives on that, but I will never accept an invitation if I have not met the person or had a phone call with them or had some kind of engagement. That's what the follow button is for. And so for me, it's around using it as a true business network. That has really been a benefit for me. And you can just send a message to people and you can just connect with them. So that that's really, really important. But let's go back to the other one, which is listening. So I often used to find out what are the latest cases, tax cases in that case, what, what were people thinking about it? Had we stuffed up on something? Was there a real vibe coming through? And so for me, it's that instant ability to get feedback on something that's happening that that to me is a massive benefit of this instant social media, whether that's Twitter or, or whether it's uh, LinkedIn. And those are the two, uh, Roger, that I actually use for 
uh, work purposes. So yeah, I don't sure? I don't do the other ones. Instant and direct access to yeah. people who matter to you yes. on ideas that matter to them. Which leader doesn't want that? It just seems. Why wouldn't you? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Why wouldn't you indeed? Look, this has been such a refreshing and I think hopefully an empowering conversation, Deb, for people who are listening, because if you are sitting on the fence or if you are kind of at arm's length to your own social media activities, hopefully those leaders and and those advisors that are supporting them tuning in are hearing a different narrative, seeing a different picture, one that you're painting that is, it can be done. Yeah. It is being done. I think this is the other thing. We always like to take comfort with the fact that, that that path has been walked before. It is being done. It's being done all over the place and you've given some great examples today. And they can all actually get on board for their own gain. This is not something that anyone's keeping you out of. It's an opportunity for every leader to to step forward and take up the opportunity online. So if people have questions or encouragements from today's show, what's the best way for them to reach you? So there's lots of different ways you can reach me. I won't give you my personal email, of course. People have. It's interesting. Is, oh, isn't that interesting? You know, I think my, my EA would uh, would uh, be crying in the corner if we did that. It, it's a great question, actually. I, I you know, some of the ways that they can reach me is by commenting on some of my posts as well. So I am a regular poster on LinkedIn. So if people know me, then absolutely, you know, connect with me. But if they've got questions, I think the best place to do would be in, in some of the things. And maybe when we, we share this podcast, there might be a space there for, for engaging with people and um, having a bit of a Q&A. We, maybe we'll come up with something new, Roger. We'll come up with something new and different. <laughs> I hope so. And, and as you said before, at the very least, use the follow button oh, and yeah. listen and learn and find an opportunity to reach out to Deb when the time is right and say, I loved what you posted about rugby. I love rugby. Let me tell you yeah. my opinion. <laughs> Let me tell you who's going to win the Rugby World Cup, but let's not talk about that. Oh, let's not, please. But anyway, <laughs> rugby aside, Deb Jenkins, thank you so much for being part of the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.